it was challenging for me and I had my own challenges with uh, parents, my dad suffering PTSD as a veteran. So there was a lot going on and, and a lot that I did not know how to handle. So for me, and I'm very open about it, I really turn to what I think many of us do is turn to something. I turn to food and to sugar. Um, it was a way to block emotions and to block being empathic and feelings I didn't want to feel. And so Hello and welcome back to my podcast, Happy on the Inside. And today I have a special treat for you guys. Julie Riesler, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Happy on the Inside. I love the name of this show. I'm so honored to be here and thank you for having me. I'm excited. Julie, you are a certified master life coach. You've been on TEDx multiple times. I would highly recommend to watch those videos. You are a speaker. You are an author of few books and you are also a professor at Georgetown University and a podcast host. And you are also a mother of two beautiful children, Dahlia and Amy, and happily married. Were your life always like this? <laughs> oh, how much time do we have here? No. <laughs> so here's what I say, because I love the name of this show so much. Um, I experienced quite a lot of joy when I was really, when I was younger, like, you know, in the before I think I got into the conditioning of the world, right, would just felt happy and joyful. I used to dance and draw and was very creative. Um, and I would say there was like a big, big, big space in between, um, probably as I hit my teens, where I just started going down a spiral of self-loathing and not feeling enough and, you know, really struggled. Um, struggled in a lot of different ways and the, that, that trying to avoid emotions. And I grew up in a very, um, competitive in an area that was very competitive, uh, intellectually where you went to call it, like it just a lot of good people, just, it was, um, it was challenging for me. And I had my own challenges with, uh, parents, my dad suffering PTSD as a veteran. So there was a lot going on and, and a lot that I did not know how to handle. So for me, and I'm very open about it, I really turn to what I think many of us do is turn to something. I turn to food and to sugar. Um, it was a way to block emotions and to block being empathic and feelings I didn't want to feel. And so that is in itself a whole long journey that has been both one of the biggest challenges and blessings that, you know, led to decisions like getting incredibly uh, intense support through support groups, coaching therapy. Um, it meant a deep excavation of myself, which led, led myself to the journey of realizing not the right marriage. Good person, would amazing dad was not the right marriage. That's my first, my two children are with him. Um, going back to get my degree in this work and then leaving a, you know, a really consistent good day job as a single mom at the time to start a business health crisis. Like there's been quite a bit. So it's funny when I hear, you know, has it always been like this? I'm like, uh, no. And really along the way, learning how to step into a greater sense of, of self-love, self-power, empowerment, I should say, and 
you know, making choices. We're always making choices. It's just, are we doing it consciously or unconsciously doing it in a way where I get to design the life that I want to live. And that is a constant evolving process. Um, so I'm very grateful. Like the person I'm married to today is, is absolutely the love of my life. We actually, I have a stepdaughter as well. We have a kitty. I've got my two children. We've got a, we've got a blended full family. Um, and it's certainly happened through quite a bit of, uh, inner seeking and work to put it mildly. Can I take you a little bit back into your sure. teen, teenage life? If you would remember, what was the catalyst for you to go down the spiral? Yeah, I think uh, there's a couple. There's a couple answers to that. It's a good question. I think number one, a lot in my household felt very unstable. Um, it's actually something I've been really looking at again. I grew up in a very affluent area outside of Boston, um, where you know most most of my friends' parents literally were professors at Harvard or doctors or in that realm, the CEO of cable at the time. I mean, really like everyone was very accomplished and, and actually very loving and kind. I mean, the, most of the parents and families I knew and very, and very, um, financially stable. I grew up in, a, in some ways, a lot of love, a lot of chaos with, uh, finances, with stability, um, as I said earlier, my dad was in Vietnam. He's a veteran, was in the military and had undiagnosed PTSD and other pretty intense mental um, issues out of that. And so loving father, but there was, he was, he was always constantly, you know, from one job or one business to the next. My mom, um, who's an amazingly loving person, has a lot of anxiety. She knows this. We talk about it. So loving, right? My mom was a music teacher, opera singer. A lot of love, not a lot of stability. And I think that that comparison was just waiting to happen. Literally, I lived in a house, which was fine. It was great. I'm lucky that I lived in a house. And it was, you know, most houses where I grew up were like huge mansions, huge Victorian. So living in a smaller house, you know, that was a comparison. And then I, as I said earlier, I danced a lot. I was on stage a lot. I love to dance. I love to move and ended up just finding myself constantly comparing myself, my friends, most of the, the girls that I would dance or do gymnastics with or swim with, I did a lot of activities. I think I just did a lot of self attacking. Um, I had a lot of friends, but I would just compare. It was like in my blood, you couldn't even miss it on my street. We lived in like the one ranch house out of all of the man McMansions. Right. And then mm. in my leotard and my swimsuit, I think I felt you know, I didn't, I was, I felt um, bigger. I was taller, just didn't feel like I fit in. Didn't know I wasn't the only one at the time. You think this is, I'm the only one going through this. So I think those feelings of like not good enough and comparing um, with a mom who did a bit of that, just in her own insecurity, that just started this, this spiral of feeling not good enough. And I did not know how to be with those feelings or to hold space for myself. I didn't have that ability at 10, 11, 12, 13. So I would say that caused quite a bit of upset. And then, you know, starting to like boys, and I don't think they were so interested for a while that took probably to the end of high school, college, then it shifted. But I always felt like, what is, what, what am I doing wrong? What's, what am I, I had that narrative quite a bit. Um, now I was also a happy kid many of the times. But I think at the core, there was a lot of that fear of instability and feeling like somehow I'm missing something or I'm not as good. So 
that I would say was kind of the underpinning, like the iceberg, right? You see, it was like underneath the water that was going on. I believe that many, many things uh, do come from our childhood, especially when someone very kind in quotes would tell us something that would really stuck in our head. And I know you are an amazing dancer and you are teaching dance right now, but you had a moment when the dance teacher told you that the dancing is not for you. Can you share a bit more about this moment and how it impacted your life in the future? Yeah. And I, I've actually, it's funny. I, I haven't taught in a couple of years, but I did teach for a long time and it was very healing and I took a lot of classes. So yeah, no, I loved, love, love dancing. It was just, it was self-expression for me. I love music. I love, I've come from a very musical family on my mom's side and I a decent singer, but I loved moving to music. And I remember I had advanced to point and in ballet and then this more advanced ballet. And I think I was in my about 16, 16. So I did a couple of years. I moved from the like local dance instructor who was like so loving and kind. I mean, I grew up performing with her. I loved her to a very classically trained ballet teacher who was hardcore and I just remember she, you know, she pulled me aside and she was like, Hey, you know, I think trying to be kind about it. Like, I know you love dancing, but you're really, you're not built for this. Like you're, you're, you're too big is basically what she said, literally, um, coupled with the fact that, you know, my mom struggled with, with overeating when she was growing up and was hyper aware of me and my weight. So when I went to one of my, I went to my physician, primary care physician, when I was about, I don't know, 12 or so, mind you, he was probably, I would consider him morbidly obese. If not, yeah, he was, I hope he's still, I hope he's better today. I was uh, remembering though. And he had said, Oh, just have Julie starve herself for two weeks. Literally that was the, this is again, like in the eighties. So, you know, mid to late eighties. So wouldn't be said today, but that plus the teacher saying you're too big, you're not like built for this. It was devastating. It was, it was kind of like what I'd been feeling inside and, you know, what I had interpreted from what my mom was saying and doing. And it just made this, I had this reaction of like, I was horrified and I was so embarrassed, you know, shame, shame is such a, that is a mm. sticky emotion. Um, mm. you, you know, thankfully, God bless Brene Brown, who has written all about it. I think it's really helped bring it to the light for people to understand how how corrosive it is. And so I stopped dancing for years, I think close to 20 years. And this was like, I used to dance one, two, two to three times a week. I mean, I loved it. I took classes and I just, I stopped because I believed what she said. It, it really confirmed what I had thought. Um, come to, obviously- thankfully had a realization um, when I was doing a lot of this personal excavation work. And I realized, oh my God, what am I doing? Why am I not dancing? Who gives a crap? Like who cares what anybody mm. says? I love doing it. All bodies, all of us. I mean, yes. it's things have shifted a lot, obviously yes. for just even in our society, which is awesome. But there was a big pressure. You had to look and be a certain size. And, you know, I was like five, seven, uh, I think by the age of 13, that is, and, and I was, you know, whatever the build I, I am, which is great. It just, that experience was really devastating. And I think it, I built a lot of walls and a lot of stories based on that. It's so common. I remember yeah. my shame came from my childhood abuse. 
And I, for example, for some reason, I took this shame and blame on myself. And it was preventing me from living my full life. And it was the moment when, as I shared behind the camera with you, I had 19 miscarriages, consecutive miscarriages. I was going through these miscarriages and I would, would blame doctors. I would blame the society. I would blame my stepfather. Not understanding that what is happening, like what is wrong with, with those people? Why are they not helping me? And it took me 11 miscarriages when I was in the hospital and the doctor called me aside and he said, Anna, we can't find any physical reason. It's something to do with you showing my head and with your heart. And that was the moment when I realized, you know what? I need to stop looking for the answers on the outside. And I need to see what's, what is actually preventing me on the inside. And my question to you, Julie, what was your rock bottom? What was the moment when you said, you know what? Enough is enough. I need to do something about it. Yeah, I would say the big one, I've had a couple <laughs> different kinds, but the, the main one for me, um, this, I remember this so clearly, it was in the spring of 2003. Um, and I was married to my first husband at the time, you know, on the outside. So you could do a show that says happy on the outside, or like it looks happy on the outside. Everything really looked great. And I, I tend to, um, you know, I try to be positive. I smile a lot. I, that, that's genuine, but I think I also did a lot of that to just appear, to appear happy. And I was really, really struggling, really struggling with, with food at that time. Um, I liked my job. I did not love it. I had not consciously really looked at some of the shifts that I felt going on in, in the relationship at that time. Mainly there was a lot of change that I could feel wanting to come through me, wanting to, to, to be able to feel these feelings. And I, just remember I had a, we had a family friend who was a therapist and I love doing creative projects. If uh, anyone listening remembers, I think it was trading spaces. It was a big show early 2000 and they, you would trade places and redesign. And I would like do that for people. I did it in our apartment. I just loved anything creative and designing. And I remember I said to her, I said, I'm, I, can I help you? Like, I'll help you with your redesigning your kitchen and painting and like, put me in the game. I love this. And she said, you know what, Julie, that would be fantastic. And I came and helped her and basically without booking a session, we had like a therapy session because she would listen and, and I would start to talk about food and how I couldn't stop and these feelings I had. And she had suggested a support group, a well-known support group um, to deal with food addiction. And I had remembered that. So a couple of days after the last time I'd helped her, I just remember I was sitting in the car. My job had a lot of events. I used to plan and do a lot of events and we had this huge bag of M&Ms, tie-dye bag of M&Ms, tie-dyed M&Ms was like a cool thing from Costco. I had a huge bag next to me and I could not stop eating them. Like legit to the point, like I was nauseous, but I couldn't stop. Um, and I mean like a shit ton of M&Ms that I was eating. And I just remember I had this thought, like, should I just drive my car into the tree? Like, I really can't do this anymore. Um, which is so sad to me now. Thank God. Another voice came in. So I do a lot around intuition and teaching about it. I literally heard like a wise part of me that said, go to a meeting, go to a support meeting, and I mm. happened to know of a meeting that was happening that that evening 
go to the meeting, your whole life will change. And it will be, but just go to the meeting. And I just kept, all right. I was like bawling. So I went to this meeting I'd never been to. I felt so defeated. I, I remember I like put the M&Ms down and hid them underneath a lot of shame under the, the seat. And um, that was the beginning of probably one of the most important nights of my life. I didn't love it at first, um, but that got me, I, I started really changing. Everything changed with that. And I did become very involved. It really helped me having the support group and the system and the people and the, and that, that led, that led me eventually therapy. Yes. But eventually into even coaching and, and the excavation work is what I call it. So that was a huge, thank God I didn't go into the tree, but I really, really want, I really had thought about it. Um, and I, I will never forget it. It feels like it's still here, you know? And, um, I sometimes, I, I do believe it's like that lotus flower that grows in the mud, that mud, it's not pretty yet. It also grows one of the most beautiful spiritual flowers, you know, beings, things that we have. So I think we're like that. And in the mud, if we're, if we're open, um, there's a huge lesson and there's way more to that, but I think that's, that's probably the big one. It's one of the biggest ones. M&M's. <laughs> I mean, I was imagining this huge bag huge of M&M's. Yeah, huge, huge bag. <laughs> they quite big. <laughs> huge. The size of like half my body. Yeah, humongous. <laughs> Did you turn into yellow, red, or green? <laughs> Girl, I didn't care what color the little tight item. I was just, they're like crack, you know, and I later mm -hmm. on would like joke with friends that were also struggling together. It was one of the mm -hmm. gifts was overcoming shame is when you start talking about it. And that's what we yeah. do a lot of times in support systems. Yeah. We would like hit our arm, like we were shooting up. I'm like, if I have sugar, it is like shooting up for me. It really is. Or drinking for an alcoholic. It, it, and it's to this day, that is, that mm -hmm. is true. Mm. Yeah. I had, it's funny that you were mentioning driving your car into the tree. I had this moment as well. And I remember at the last second, I heard this voice inside me. Why me? Why should I struggle? Why should I kill myself? Hey, stop. I always knew I have a bigger purpose in this life. And for those who are listening, if you feel like this, that's not the end. Maybe this is the moment where you just need to reconsider your life. Yep. I want to talk about emotional eating a little bit. I didn't really have this problem. I was having other problems. I was emotional cleaner, where I would spend like hours and hours cleaning the house every single day. But I have a, one client, she was struggling with emotional eating, and she could not understand where, where this is coming from. And as a hypnotherapist, I took her deep down. She realized that at five years old, she was abused by her grandfather. And grandfather, to make her to shut down, he would give her a lot of lollies, cakes, food to feel, to make her to feel better. Mm -hmm. What was your realization that helped you to stop this emotional eating? I would say to go back similar, you know, the way that love was often expressed in my family was through food. Um, mm. My mom and dad both struggled with uh, overeating and my mm. mom was a closet eater. So we would have a birthday cake for my sister and the next morning it was gone type of deal. 
Um, so there was a lot of shame and secrecy around food. And then there was a lot of like celebration of life all the time through lots of food. My dad, I think, you know, was able, that's something he was easily affordable and showed a lot of love through. He cooked a lot. I mean, my dad's an amazing cook still is, and would just shower us with food. And then there was the other side of it where my mom, I think being worried, I was going to struggle with weight and issues that she had, um, was restrictive slash very, had a lot of commentary. (laughs) Mm. Um, so there's a lot of mixed messages there and I don't blame them at all. That's just, that's just what's so, and I actually think, I mean, through this portal of food addiction, sugar addiction, you know, addiction can just show up in any way, right? For some people it's alcohol, for some it's gossip, social media, shopping, whatever. There's a lot of different ways to zone out, to numb out. Um, I, you know, there's a phrase used, um, I became sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, And I think that willingness, that little kernel of willingness to go to that meeting that night and to keep coming back to those meetings and to get support and to really, really, you know, the the program I was part of is very spiritually based. So it's very much, I don't do this myself. There is the divine God, higher power, whatever you call it. And it mm. really, it, it, I always was a seeker. I always was pretty intuitive, frankly, like would have a lot of visions, premonitions, and I didn't know what to do with that. And I think we, we all are intuitive. I have a lot of intuition that came in a lot of ways. And I think it was challenging to deal with that, especially around my dad and having a sense of what he was really feeling, which he confirmed later, um, that was not spoken. And I think food blocked that. So one of the pieces that helped me in recovery and, 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 and continuously to be in that recovery space is number one, realizing that, um, it's okay. It's safe to be myself, to have my intuition, to have, uh, these different feelings. It's okay. It's safe. It's, it's part of the human experience. And, um, that it's not gonna, like, I can go through that and come out the other end. And I started doing a lot of work where I experienced it. Um, the other thing is for me, is a big journey of self-love for sure. Learning to stop abandoning myself. I am still working on that one. Um, especially for those, like, I don't know if you're this way, others listening, if you're an empath, if you're highly sensitive, I feel people very, very quickly, very easily. And that that can be a lot to carry. Um, and when you're eating over, when you're numbing out, it literally blocks your energy channels. It blocks your intuitive abilities. And so for me, learning how to be empathic and sensitive in a world, right. With people, with things going on and to make sure I'm loving myself first has been a big, 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 uh, lesson. And doing that with everything, with the thoughts, I think the words I use, the foods that nourish me, um, today, you know, that's the goal is to eat in a way that's loving, that's kind. And of course, having done a lot of work on this and I've studied it. And I mean, now I've had a lot of different trainings around mindful eating, around recovery, around changing your habits, around, um, really how to have a new relationship with yourself. So, it's uh it's an ongoing thing. It's it's a daily practice. Today I spent three hours this morning on literal self-care, self-love um activities and connection. That's often what it looks like. It's not always every day I do that, but if that's what I need, 
that's really where I, I, I try to honor that for myself. And you look amazing, by the way. Thank and I you. love, <laughs> I love how you said most important thing is to find the root cause why you have this need for the emotional eating because once you identify this need and once you eliminate this need it's nothing wrong with you it's just your subconscious is trying to protect you from something that that was scary when you were a young girl julie i know you found out uh, in your healing journey that you had hashimoto I know you know a lot about this. And the reason I'm asking, because all my struggles with those miscarriages, when different doctors in different countries could not find the reason, I found this amazing doctor. His name Elias Kolnikov in San Francisco. He was the first doctor who, just studying my history, it's a trauma, it's not being able to sleep. It's, you know, abusing my body with different fast foods and all this stuff. He said, it's a hypothyroid. I don't know whether it's caused by Hashimoto or not. How did you realize that something is not right? How did you find out mm. that you had a Hashimoto? Yeah, this was pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty in my face. I, so I, you know, this transition time of doing a lot of, I mean, I'm talking thousands of hours of, of inner work, not just, I mean, between coaching therapy, support groups, um, and then realizing I just felt like this marriage I was in, it just didn't, it didn't align. It didn't feel right. I had really gotten just some differences in us that, that, um, it's all good. It's just, I, I knew that intuitively and that was really sad and really challenging. I had two young kids at the time. And I think a lot of what I had used as a coping mechanism was people pleasing. I own mm. that. Like just, I can, I leaned on that. I could have gotten a PhD in that <laughs> PhD in people pleasing. So, you know, to go through this experience of uncoupling with someone who thought we were going to be together for, you know, our lives and, um, kind of coming to a greater awareness of who I am, this was not easy speaking up was not easy for me, um, mm. especially as someone who likes to keep the peace and have people be happy. And uh, so I, you know, once we move through the separating and then eventually moving on to divorce, it's interesting. It was actually towards the end, right as we were getting this divorce, I um, was on a trip. I was actually the person that I am now married to. I was dating. We were, um, actually in Florida, <laughs> visiting mm -hmm. a dear friend. And the next thing I know, and I, I had gotten into teaching dance and fitness. Like I really wanted to take extra good care of myself so that I could move through this change, um, powerfully. And I blacked out and I just remember waking up. I was laughing. Cause I'm like, why are all the EMT men so good looking? And why are they here? <laughs> why are these like young guys around? Like what is happening? And they couldn't figure it out. My, I, you know, had really low blood pressure. I did not feel great. Went back home, went to the doctors, ended up in the hospital kind of going through tests. And I remember this, my, it's so interesting, right? As they were saying, well, you have this underactive thyroid condition, Hashimoto's, my intuition literally kicked in. And the voice I heard said, you have not been speaking up and speaking what's true for you. Ooh. 
And I, I have since I've gone very deep into the energy healing, energy medicine, uh, intuition, all of that. Um, I believe the healing arts, I, I really believe there's, we are made of energy and there's so much information around in, in our, in our field, in our energy field. So that was powerful because I knew it in the minute I heard it, I was like, yep, I, I get it. That, and a big healing process for me has been over the last 12 years is making sure I'm speaking up, making sure I'm not abandoning myself to people, please. I still sometimes struggle with that. My instinct is I don't want to hurt feelings. I don't want, I want everyone to be happy. I mean, it's just, I love, you know, mm-hmm. harmony, all that. So anyhow, it was, um, yeah, it was pretty obvious because I, I, I had this, uh, kind of fainting black. I just felt so crappy. Um, and I was at the time 35, you know, that was not, um, it was shocking because I felt like I'm, and I am in good health yet the thyroid controls almost everything as does, you know, it's yeah. an important aspect of our body temperature regulating that, you know, your, your metabolism, all of it sleep. So it's been a journey I have learned. And, and of course, eating in a loving way is crucial to really being as uh, healthy and vibrant as possible. And it's a blessing. It sometimes doesn't feel that way, but I know it is. And I know I'm here Mm -hmm. to help others who struggle with that. I agree. I've heard uh, from psychosomatic point of view, it's when you shut down your voice. My voice has improved when I started my healing journey. I speak much louder right now <laughs> before you couldn't hear me because I could feel there is always something or sitting in my throat. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just in the beginning of this journey. So thank you so much for sharing yeah. this, this information. Um, I also wanted to jump into your book and your podcast. I want to leave uh, some space for my listeners to go and listen to your podcast, the USU, because that's where you share so much amazing information about negative self-talk, self-doubt, limiting beliefs, and like imposter syndrome how to trust yourself. What inspired you to start your podcast, firstly? Well, I think in the vein of what we were saying, one of the lessons is to speak up, to speak my truth, to use my voice, right? To make an impact, to help others. I really, for me, I after going through so much of this kind of dark night of the soul to like, you know, reclaiming deeper love, empowerment. I I know for me, I was like, oh, I am not okay with another person, especially women, a woman going through this and feeling alone and not realizing that things can shift and change, that we can design the life we want. That's part of why I coach and I have my coaching program is all that, right? So the podcast, I started, you know, I've always been into um, inspirational teachers and leaders. I grew up listening to Louise Hay. My mom would play her on the tape, like literally at a tape, tape, tape recorder. We would listen to her and Wayne Dyer and others that, um, have since passed yet. I, I always, I I've always been into kind of that, not looking to people on the pedestal. That's not what I mean, but there's wisdom that there, that some of our brothers and sisters have gone through that I believe can really help along the journey. And so I was starting to, um, when I started my business, 
meet some of these incredible experts and luminaries um, through different groups that I was part of. And I was having these conversations. I was listening to them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to share this. This is like not okay for me just to hear this. I know someone back home that could, could benefit. And so I really just decided I've got to share the, this, these messages, this wisdom. And I, you know, came up, I worked with uh, two friends, two women that are just amazing. And we came up with, and I kind of birthed this idea of being your most authentic self, your youest you, like there's only one of that, right? Each of us have that one special thumbprint. So those unique, the unique divinity in each of us. So that, that podcast idea, probably similar to you is to, to really help people. And it's been about five years and I cannot believe it. And actually Eric, who we both know, who's a dear friend, um, we had both just talked about, maybe we'll do one together. And I think he waited a little, which is fine. He's doing his now. And I was like, I'm doing this. I have to do it. I have to just get started. And honestly, it's been a labor of love. I love it. Um, I've had, you know, a lot of great guests. I've shared a lot of my own philosophy and thoughts on there. And to me, it's my, uh, it's part of my service to the world. That yeah. is so many golden nuggets. So many. I'm so grateful that you took this, you found this courage and you started the podcast. Talking about the podcast, Joy, uh, just before we go, I have a very tricky question for you. Might be not tricky for you, but my husband just recently went on some big show uh, called Dropping Bombs with Bradley in Las Vegas. And he shared the story how we met. And you can see it on YouTube or, or on my husband's Instagram account where he's saying how he saw me this three-quarter Russian and one-quarter Japanese smoking hot 10 out of 10 woman. And he just felt like something, you know, just levitated him and plugged it in front of me. And I did a, quite a lot of self-development. But then I went and uh, saw some comments. And some people were saying, you know what? Mm, I don't think she's like 10 out of 10. She's probably 6 out of 10. And then some people were commenting, she is not how he explaining. And the thing is, I've got more comments about myself than is about actual podcasts, mm. which, which was very interesting. But I felt like, hmm. I've done all this self-development on I don't need an external validation because I know how I feel and how I, how I look. But it was something inside. Maybe I'm not good enough for other people. Mm. My husband told me, Ina, if you want to be famous, you have to toughen up. What is your opinion on this feeling and how to overcome it? The feeling of not enoughness, you mean? Or... So sorry you to go through that. And what comes to mind and to heart is <laughs> we're missing it. Like we are not our bodies. We're not our physical apparatus. We're spirit. We're soul. Mm. We're, we're here as part of a greater aspect of something, you know, divine of something that's expressing as each of us. So it's great to honor. And I've had to learn this honestly, and doing a lot of my own work on accepting my body and myself to love the vehicle that we live in, right? To mm. love it, to honor it. And I don't care what size you are, what shape you are, color, what, 
you're, you're exquisite. It really doesn't matter. We are exquisite, all of us, every one of us. And I know, especially for those of us who've been groomed in a society that is like, you have to look a certain way. It can feel very, mm -hmm. um, well, no, I don't fit into this box. Like I was told I'm not the right size. So getting that, that, that strong sense of self of that, that backbone, that spinal column, you know, that, you know, the spinal column holds us up, right? So you got to know in your bones, in your spine that mm. I am like, I'm worthy and I'm, I am here as a, as a light, as a spirit and, and a, as a worthy individual, just because I was born, you are, all of us are. And comments like that, it just fine. It honestly reflects a bit of shallowness to, in my opinion, um, mm -hmm. and has no meaning, has no real, real meaning, right? Like there's no reality. So if someone said you're six, okay, what does that even mean? You might be a 12 in my book, you're 12 out of 10. I mean, both looks and person and, and your light, like maybe we should be commenting on our inner light, right? You talk about happy on the inside. Maybe we should mm. be saying she's a 10 out of 10. Yes. Physically. How about her light? How about her inner mm. you know, love? Like let's, let's go there. And so my focus for me, that's what I'm looking for in others. And that's what I'm trying to connect with in myself is the inner light, the inner world of divinity, of connection, of, of gifts, of uh, happiness, you know, and that, that's a different conversation. When you know that I've had people comment before I once, I had a very beautiful guest. I've had him many times, he's a dear friend at this point. And I had an audio issue. My mic was, was no bueno. And uh -huh. a lot of, you know, negative comments about, oh my God, she's like terrible with her mic. And like, this shouldn't even, you know, it's terrible. I can't even hear him and blah, blah. You could hear him, but it was, my mic was terrible. And part of me is like, was devastated. And then, I mean, I still get comments. It's, it's a well-watched uh, video and, and podcast episode. I actually just interviewed him again. My mic was great, but I wrote back. I'm like, listen, I get it. I'm so sorry. You know, audio issue. It's, it's fixed. It's kind of like things happen. These things happen, but that's not who I am. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm not meant to do this work or that you're not meant to. It just means there's comments, there's feedback, there's, you know, judgments. Um, I think the deeper thing is Anna is really that judgment piece. Like the truth is mm -hmm. that what I'm giving is what I'm receiving. So if I'm going to be judgmental of somebody, Mm -hmm. It's coming right back to me. So I would just say, let's look at ourselves, how we are operating on the inside um, and trust that the laws of the universe work in ways that you don't have to worry if someone's going to comment like that, mm -hmm. that's going to be their lesson coming back and, and bless them, right? Like we, we hope they get it, but um, that's my thought. I love it, Julie. Thank you so much for, for sharing this. You just remind me that we have to be so strong on the inside that nothing in the outer world can shake us. And that's that's knowing who we are. Yeah. And that, don't get me wrong. It can be upsetting, right? I don't want to say like, I, I would probably, you know, I've had things like that. I'm like, oh, that doesn't feel good, right? That doesn't feel good. And that's okay. You know, it's okay as a human being to say that does not feel good. Mm -hmm. And then surround yourself what Jim Rohn, right? One of the most well-known personal development gurus said that, you know, 
basically the five people that you surround yourself with, you're going to emulate them. You're going to be like them. So have people in your team that love you and see you and not just you physically, but you emotionally and, and mentally and who you are as a light and, and have them help you and get, and have that within yourself. I think I just got some realization as well, because I, growing up, I was trying to fit in and, you know, I was wearing fake nails, fake eyelashes, fake hair, you know, trying to look good, 10 out of 10, trying to be liked. Now, when I took everything off, it's, it was so freeing. And I feel like this, this situation just showed me that maybe there is something else I need to work on. And it's, it's always, it's, it's normal because it's always work in progress. So thank you. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, from one to another, trust me, I constantly, I'm taking down those walls all the time myself. Work in progress. Yeah, love love yourself, yeah. <laughs> even That's as right. who you are. That's Julie, right. I know you are teaching people how to become a life coaches and you help them to find their own life, their own gift. So tell us a little bit about what is it, the new program that you are starting in your coaching academy? Yes, thank you for asking. This is, this is one I... I'm like happily, gratefully surprised in a way that that um, that has shown itself as an opportunity that I've been able to. It's a blessing for me. So, I was a psych psychology major. I thought maybe I'll be a therapist, but then I was like, oh, I don't think so. Twenty years later, I went back and got my master's degree in coaching from an integrative health perspective, looking at people from a holistic, whole person. Um, from that angle of that integrative perspective, I fell in love, love, love with this work. I had a coach that changed my life. This is also on a, like almost 12 years ago before it was what it is now. So people were like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm coaching. Okay. So I ended up going, uh, starting my own business about 10 years ago. I left, uh, my, my day job and I was brought into Georgetown. I've been teaching there for a long time. And it was, um, and I've had clients and I've worked with leaders and people in the government and companies and military, and then a lot of different kinds of amazing individuals. I early in the pandemic woke up and had this very strong inner voice. The same one that said, go to the meeting, don't go into the tree. The same voice said, you need to start a coaching certification. Hmm. And I have learned to not mess with that voice. Although part of me was like, what? what do you mean? Like, I already uh-huh. teach you more like, why would you want? And it's so interesting. Cause it's really, it really blossomed, um, over the last three plus years, it's really blossomed. I realized, oh my God, I know how to teach coaching. I've been doing it. The fundamentals, there's a framework. Um, it's a very sacred healing kind of work. People mm. don't always understand that you are like a therapist, like a healer, like the work you do, mm. you're entering somebody's energy field. They're you know, it's, it's, to me, it's holy sacred work. And so I realized all of the other trainings I had done in heart intelligence with the heart math Institute, healing arts, and the list goes on. I wanted to infuse a lot of those practices that are not often taught in coaching programs. Mm. So I had already been using the term life designer because I realized I'm a coach, but I really design my own life and I help others to design their life. 
And so the Life Designer Coach Academy is a certification program. I teach it. I have trained mentor coaches. There's a practicum. I mean, it's a full-on amazing, if I may say so myself, certification. And it, it's funny, we've got a lot of people that even haven't been coached yet, but I always say, are you somebody who others talk to naturally? Do you feel like you're wearing a sign, literally holding a sign that's like, come talk to me, come tell me your life stories and secrets, you know, cause that, I think having that kind of presence is important. Um, it's drawn in a lot of coaches that have gone through Tony Robbins and other programs. And I think wanted to refine their skills and mm. I believe, I think of it as, I really think of coaching like this as miracle work, you know, miracle defined as a change in perception. Um, and I really, I've experienced it myself. I've experienced it with my clients and I've experienced it with my students. This work is, it's life-changing. And so if you just know you want to do something good, you want to help others, you're not even sure where coaching is. It's as much a personal development program as it is learning how to become a life coach, a holistic life coach. And it's just, it's been such a blessing. I love, love, love teaching it. And my next, my 10th cohort is starting uh, in uh, soon in October. And um, it's brought in people from all over the world. And uh, I'm grateful because you can use it anywhere. You could do it part-time. You could do it really part-time. You could do it full-time. You can do it at any time. You can travel. You can, you know, there's always a way that you can really serve and help somebody through this modality, this healing miracle modality of coaching. So um, I'm, I can't wait. That is a thousands of amazing benefits to be a coach and to be certified in your academy. Where people can find more information about it. Yeah. And thank you for asking. I, I'm really, I'm in love with it and I've put a lot of heart and soul into it. Um, it is the best places go to julieriesler.com slash certification. If you go to my website, you'll see coach certification and there's a lot of info. There's the syllabus, the whole thing you can see, does that, you know, feel aligned? And if so, you know, I have workshops coming up to, to teach about what it is, open houses, and and I, I do keep them smaller and intimate. Um, I think it's it, it keeps the integrity of the program for, for now at least. And um, it's just people that have gone through it, honestly, the students, and it's there's a lot of testimonials have really talked about it being one of the best experiences and investments of their life. So I, I'm grateful because that feels awesome to have something that I know is life-changing. Guys, not many people to teach coaching on such a deep level. I would highly, highly recommend to check this out. Julie, before we go, do you have any concluding thoughts? I would just say, first of all, I've loved connecting with you and your amazing listeners. I'm really honored to be here. And I think this conversation, what I appreciate is the vulnerability and that is the thing that our vulnerability is, I believe, our greatest strength. Happiness on the inside, because that is the whole thing, uh, comes from being, being vulnerable, being open-hearted, being, you know, a truth teller, um, being empowered, loving yourself. And and I do believe it starts with that that willingness to be vulnerable and say, you know, this has been going on. My greatest gifts have come from that time of you know, the M&M story. So being vulnerable, being, it's okay. If you're, if you're having a breakdown, you know, you've heard this before, those breakthroughs, those transformations, they come through, they come through, they break through the breakdown. So hang in there and know you're, you're not alone. You know?
know, this is part of, I think, the human evolution experience is to see and feel and know our greatest power. And that comes often through challenges. Ladies and gentlemen, Julie Brisla. Thank you so much for joining us today. I would really love to hear your thoughts about today's episode. What did you like and what would you love to hear more about? For more information about my story and my work, go to my website at anadichburn.com where you can also download for free my seven secrets that I've learned about being happy from the inside out. So thank you so much and we will see you next time. Bye for now.